Hey everybody, it's Joe Trippy, and welcome back to That Trippy Show. Well, it may not feel like it quite yet, but behind the scenes, the 2024 cycle is blowing up already. So today we figured we'd bring in somebody Alex and I spent the 2022 cycle in a foxhole with and see what the landscape is starting to look like. Reed Gallen, co-founder of The Lincoln Project, which Alex and I are both part of, Welcome back, Reed. Thanks for having me. I want to peel back the curtain a little bit. At the Leakin Project, we have multiple weekly strategy calls where we decide everything from what ads to make to where our time and money will make the biggest difference. In 2022, Reed and Trigby Olson, Jeff, Jeff Timmer, and the entire Lincoln Project team identified 22 races we thought were existential, meaning that we really believed we needed to win as many as we could to save democracy from the threat of those 22 folks that were out there. We won 17 of them against Trumpy candidates. Factor in 2020 is win 18 or number one. And no wonder Trump recently attacked us by name again. So I was <laughs> thinking, and Alex and I were talking about it, Reed, and what if we could share some of our thinking about what's going on as we enter into 2024. And then we'll check back with the Lincoln Project podcast, which by the way, folks, if somehow you're listening to this one and you're not listening to read on the Lincoln Project podcast, you should, we'll put it in the show notes. And then check back with this podcast again for regular updates. So Alex, where should we get started today? Well, Reed, you started laughing when we talked about win number one and all the other other 18. So just kind of start, we'll start there. Yeah, you know, I think that so often, and we see this still with the, the tactical and strategic moves, that everybody in American politics really gets stuck in the last war. You know, 2016 was vastly different from 2020, and 2024 will be vastly different from 2020. Um, you know, look, we might have the two, the same two nominees running again, uh, two former presidents running against each other, which might be a first time thing. You know, it, it's everything has accelerated since I would say really January 6th, 2021, two years ago, um, where maybe, OK, this was going to be the end of Trump. He'd finally crossed a line, which you would think trying to overthrow the republic would be that line that you couldn't come back from. But you know, the guy has, if he's a cat, you know, he's he's got those nine lives and he just uses every one of them as much as he can. <laughs> and so I think as we start to look forward to this is, you know, a, a dynamic in which uh, the Republican Party, and when I say that, I don't just mean uh, Trump and Kevin McCarthy and the leaders, but also the voters, right, are becoming increasingly um, extreme in their beliefs and and set in their beliefs. And I think that you know, we could go through all of the various reasons that happens. But, you know, there was a recent uh, UMass Amherst survey out in January that said now, according to their numbers, 70 percent of Republican voters don't believe Joe Biden's the legitimately elected president. Like that's that is a dangerous place for a democracy to be. It's a lot of people. <laughs> that means tens of millions of Americans. Maybe they don't think about it this way, but they have it somewhere in their subconscious believe we're somehow living in an occupied country that Joe Biden isn't legitimate, that the, none of this is legitimate. And then you see, you know, Kevin McCarthy and his goons in, in the U.S. House and, you know, they're throwing people off committees and they're starting up silly committees and they're, you know, going to take the, the country on a Thelma and Louise like ride, you know, off a, off a debt ceiling cliff. The, the long answer to a short question is it's going to be crazier than we could have ever imagined. And the thing that we all need to do and this is a big ask, is really expand our imaginations even further. Yeah, it's going to be more than 18 places we have to win <laughs> this time around. For sure. 
Right. So, Reed, I'm glad you brought that one up. One thing that happened recently that kind of had all of us scratching our heads that wanted to kind of tell our listeners about was Larry Hogan, who a lot of people mm-hmm. have held up as this paragon of moderation in the last couple of years as governor of Maryland. I was um, one of which, them. I, 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 thought, yeah, yeah. I thought he was. We weren't wrong. We are a constituent. Yeah. yeah. He, by the way, obviously didn't run again. The Republican Party of Maryland said, enough with that. We're going to nominate the craziest person we can. And our right. guy, quote unquote guy, said recently that if Trump were the nominee, he'd support him, which is like, after all that, you kind of like, okay, one of the few people who are left who might say something just bent the knee again. Yeah, look, I mean, you know, both he and uh, Sununu up in New Hampshire both vaporized in, in oh, I think on the same day in the course of seconds. Yeah. Yeah. vaporize their only reasons for being in a in a you know in what could be crowded republican field which is at the end of the day um they're going to support the guy um hogan should know better sununu should know better but they just you know guys it's i mean look i'm not a republican anymore everybody has to take their own path to you know decide okay that enough is enough for me it was a long time God, a long time ago now. But for Hogan, you know, they just, I think it wasn't just him, but I think it was his team too. They just couldn't get over the idea that a former Republican governor wouldn't support a Republican nominee because what if Trump isn't the nominee, right? And he could have said, uh, if the Republican nominee is anybody other than Donald Trump, I'd be happy to support them. But if it's him, I can't. And that's why I'm running. And and it could have... He could have used that answer to create and expand the foundation ideologically, politically, and morally for why he was running, because this isn't the Republican Party that I want to be a part of. But he didn't do that. No, it also just shows like such a little understanding of process, I mean, for him, because Mm -hmm. actually, because New Hampshire's an open primary, uh, if he had taken the tact you're talking about, there may have been lots of independents, maybe even some Democrats that would have been open to him right. as supporters in that, you know, New Hampshire primary, because uh, there's not going to be a Democratic primary on the same day in New Hampshire. It's sort of like bending the knee and also amateur hour all at the same time right. in terms of what would be politically smart to do and, and the right thing to do. Yeah. And I mean, let's let's take the, the amateur hour part first, which is, Joe, I mean, you have been through this um, more than I have, and I, I feel like I've been through it more than most humans ever should be, is, you know, these these candidates, until they, they until they go through it, they just don't know what it is, right? They just, they, yeah. they, the gauntlet has to be experienced personally. Um, and so, yeah, he could have some very senior, uh, you know, Republican strategists and everything else. But the truth is, is that, you know, you've got, you know, it's, it's you've got other people who aren't as familiar you know, some people say, I don't know, you can't go all the way doing that. So they try and do this split the baby thing, um, which never works. And, and again, you know, it's it's again uh, and time and again, we're seeing it everywhere up and down the Republican Party with the exception, literally two exceptions. And neither one of them are in office anymore. Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, right, who have made a deal with the devil and they can't help themselves. Right. And so, you know, they're sitting there. They say this. Then they do this really sort of half-assed walk back, right? Where they don't really don't say that they dis, you know, they disagreed with what Hogan had said, but they tried to clean it up and they did a bad job cleaning it up because they didn't really want to, 
right? They felt like they had to because the chatter in class, the media came after him because his brand was being the anti-Trump Republican. Right. And as I said, he wrecked it in the course of, you know, three minutes. I was going to ask, what do you think of Sununu? Do you think there's any chance that he'd actually engage and run? Sure. Yeah. You know him. He's from New Hampshire. It's the same reason Tom Harkin ran, right? Yeah. I mean, where, you know, you, you're you Nikki Haley, right? Nikki Haley might as well just run for governor of South Carolina again under the auspices of, of you know, running for president. Um, you know, I in another time, in another place, I think Sununu would be a great option. But right. not in today. And he again, he did the same thing, yeah, right? Which he backed is away too. You know, crazy. Yeah, he, you know, and he's like, uh, well, what did, did you really mean it when you called Trump effing crazy? Oh, I was just kidding about that. It was that. a great no, joke. Look, it was a great joke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, Trump is really crazy. Yeah. Right. Um, and you should again, you should have just stuck by that. Who is it that you think you're fooling? Right. It's not like it's not like you're you're going to be in the good graces of Trump or any of these uh, or any of his voters, right? Or any right. of his supporters or any of the MAGA media. Um, you are who you are. You're already staked out there, way out on the you know periphery. You might as well again be who you are, and you know they just can't help themselves. So that's what I wanted to get to, which was okay. So if you're Hogan or Sununu or anybody who might kind of be anti-Trump, Asa Hutchison. There's a huge clamor for Asa Hutchison from from Arkansas, who is also not a bad person. Probably won't make the mistake of saying he'd support Trump as a nominee at this point. But it's like this. there's You either believe that there's enough juice to beat him, in which case you say that you wouldn't support him as a nominee, right. or you don't, and he's going to win anyway. This weird kind of, like you said, splitting the baby is like, I guess they just don't want to be like publicly embarrassed. I mean, y'all saw what Trump did after Nikki Haley announced he went on uh, what Hugh Hewitt's show and was about how she was crying without him and all the regular BS he pulls. After he told her if she wanted to run, she should run. And that's yeah. the other part, too, is like none of these people seem to get like they are transactions for him, right? He doesn't care about any of them. They'll, he'll turn on all of them. He always does. So like if you're, you know, if, if they're sitting in, in Charleston or Columbia, wherever they're going to run that deal from, and they're surprised that like, oh yeah, Trump talked to the, you know, I'm sure they're calling her ambassador Haley now, right? Trump talked to ambassador Haley and oh yeah, it's all good. You know, he, he sort of gave the imprimatur and then he goes out and whacks her and they're like, what happened? You know, like, I mean, it just, I don't get it. I really don't get it. I still have never understood why any of them think there's a way to win. And I, you know, we've talked about this before, but you know, even the Larry Hogan's, the, the Sununu's, you, you somehow defeat Trump. Um, the, the, the whole, there's too many diehard MAGA Trumpies who will never vote for whoever defeats them. So, right. you know, and, and they haven't won the popular vote since, since 2004. Yeah. 2004. Yeah. Um, so they can't afford to lose any part of the, this is the whole reason MAGA and Trump have, held the party hostage and actually converted all of them to their, to their cause. It's, it's, so I, I, I don't really, I, it's going to be interesting to me to see, cause it's clear Trump would like a, a bigger field. On the other hand, he doesn't want anybody. No one has the right to run against him. So right. uh, uh, that's why I think he tells Nikki Haley, Hey, if you go with your heart, if you want to run, run. And then, you know, trashes her. Uh, for thinking about it he's yeah. uh, either way he wins but i don't see how she wins either you know i mean there's no i don't see a path right um, uh, uh, yeah and i mean i think if you look at desantis pompeo haley you know name a couple others who are thinking about running i mean most of these people owe their careers in one way or another to him um but i'll tell you this is you know 
whether or not it's any of those people I just named with the, maybe the exception of DeSantis, if he actually, if he actually grows the spine in time are likely to mention the name Donald Trump in their announcement, right? When they yeah. decide that they're going to run for leader of the free world, they're not going to say his name. You know, they're going to talk about, you know, a new generation of leadership or a reframing of the Republican party. They'll maybe even obliquely talk about, um, you know, 2022 and how we can't afford to lose more elections, but they're not going to say his name directly. And, you know, this whole idea of, oh yeah, you know, once he gets indicted, that'll be it for him. Like they're all going to have to stand on the stage with him after he's indicted, if he's indicted and say, it's the deep state chasing him. Yeah. It's the deep state. Absolutely. Right. They're not, they're none of those, none of them are going to get outside the, the, the envelope and say, oh no, no, no. He, you know, he's a bad guy. He tried to overthrow the government. He stole all these top secret things, all this other stuff, and any number of other crimes he probably committed that we'll never know about. They're never going to do that. And so to your point, you're like, what's the point, right? What's the right. point of putting your friends, your family, your donors? And, I'm, you know, look, the only way they could beat him is if they all went at him all the time in his face, right? And yeah. I don't know that they either have the desire the ability or the understanding of how to do that. I think that's something you've pointed out many times. Like it is a a slog through mm -hmm. hell to run for president of the United States, even if you're a favorite. Right. Even when you have everything going for you, right? It is it is just incredibly tough to make it through. And at the end of it, it just just spent completely. Right. Um, and that's if you make it to the end of it. Right. And so it's like the, this, like these, none of them have been through multi, multi, you know, candidate primaries that were very tough. I mean, some of them maybe, but nothing. You have nothing. It's like going from Little League to, to the World Series, right. to the MLB World Series, a totally different thing. Yeah. With, uh, with Bob Gibson throwing a 90 mile an hour heater at your head every day. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Every day. <laughs> No, no, four or five podcasts. <laughs> right, right, all at the same time. Yeah, all at the same time. So, Reed, you just got there. Um, we made a mistake on our last podcast. We asked multiple times if people could send in questions for us, and they did. As you probably know, we don't always get to them, but thought this <laughs> one was good. Um, this was from, I think, three different listeners this week was essentially, how could Trump lose the GOP nomination? We all think he's the favorite. I think all three of us agree pretty heartily on that, and it, we don't see him losing. But what perfect storm, Reed, you mentioned everyone's right. kind of got to find the guts to do it and go at him together. But what needs to happen for somebody else to be the nomination, if at all possible? At this moment, and right, it, it, things could change dramatically, but at this moment, the only things I could think of would be uh, he decides he didn't want to do it. Right? I, yeah, okay, yeah, I thought about this, but you know— I've got health issues or I want to go spend time with my family, right? Um, one is true. The other one isn't. Um, or he dies, right? But I, I, don't, I don't see anything other than that. Again, these things, I mean, you know, we all remember, I, I mean, I remember sitting in my office at Bush Cheney 2004 headquarters, you know, a certain evening in Iowa where everybody thought there was going to be a certain outcome and there wasn't. But that was a much different time and a much different dynamic there's so much of the party now that believes in the stuff that Trump espouses that, you know, they're all going to, I mean, this is the other part about attacking him is these other candidates all know, like they need those people. They attack Trump. They're going to lose some of them. There was a recent survey right by the, by the bulwark right. people in Whit Air is that 28% of people, Republican voters said they're going with Trump no matter where the hell he ends up. Right. So I don't, I don't know the answer to the question, 
it's a good question. I don't have a good answer, but you know, as we talked about, Joe, let's just let's take that twenty-eight percent thing for a second. If it was half that number, right, the non-Trump nominee is cooked. If it was half again that number, yeah, the, the non-Trump nominee is cooked. If it was half again that number, the Trump nominee is cooked, right? Yeah, they haven't won the popular vote since, like we said, since two thousand four. And you right. have these states where you look anything. I mean, some of these places you lose. Two, three points of the you know MAGA uh, cults, Trump cult, staying home, sitting on their hands, and it'll be a lot more than that, people. Um, and you know the the interesting right. thing because the the other half of that question that we audience question was uh, build a path that would that could happen uh, for him to lose, and then in prints. Uh, and then tell us why it ain't happening. You know, so the question is <laughs> right. a smart one, but they understood the answer was it's just not going to happen, folks. And I agree with that. But you know. To get any deeper into this, uh, Reed, like there's still sort of this thinking that like the paths you talked about, you know, he he decides not to run or or he, you know, health wise, something happens and, and he can't yeah. obviously. Uh, oh, he's in perfect health, though. Yeah, I no, mean, he's no, the but, healthiest guy that's ever lived. But even if that's OK, great. There's no hallelujah there. All the there will be candidates all over yes. Trumpy candidates. It's what Reed's talking about. They've become even more extreme they believe this stuff so so if he disappeared the one of these candidates would try to be the most they'd all fight to be the most trump like right. the there would be candidates for governor senator we saw this in 2022 right. in the house um that trumpism that cult that is going to flare up whether he's here or not i think i think you're absolutely right i mean look it Think about this. Let's say he decided not to run. What is the most valuable thing in the Republican primary after that decision? His endorsement. Trump's endorsement, right? Let's say that he is incapacitated health-wise or passes on. They will if – he's, if he's laying in a hospital bed or he's laying in a beer, B-I-E-R, right, the hagiography that will come from all of these people about his greatness will be – incredible because the movement and it is a movement and the republican party is its political wing will demand fealty to the fallen leader it will splinter too as the as the crazies sort of determine who's the next you know the next person to sort of wear the mantle but you're absolutely right joe i mean think about this and let's use a state like pennsylvania right the the nominee for Republican governor in 2022 is a guy, Doug Mastriano, who was as bad as they get, right? right? I think in many ways he was even worse than Carrie Lake because I think Carrie Lake is a cynic, a crazy yeah. cynic, but a cynic. Mastriano believes this stuff. True right? believer. Yeah. Um, he's a true believer. But to go over to that Senate race, right? Um, what was her name? Kathy Barnett, right? Gets like 27% of the primary vote, you know, for the U.S. Senate race. Didn't run a campaign. Right. Didn't run a campaign. Like, how does that happen? And those are the ultra MAGA voters, right? Those right. are that 27 or in this recent survey, 28 percent of people who will never leave. Right. And then you have the other, let's say, let's say the by the Bannon line, which are the soft sort of disaffected Republicans. Let's say that's 10. So you get 30 percent who are always Trump. You know, you got another 20 percent who are ultra MAGA. So there's 50 percent right there. And then the things that they would have to do and say. Right. To ensure that those people showed up, because remember, a lot of these voters are nihilists anyway. They don't care right. about the Republican Party will make you, you know, 
un- unpalatable to most American, regular American presidential voters. Well, and that's what, what you got. You, you got to the, the point there that the voters don't care about the party. I mean, you look at the surges that did have Trump or Trumpy candidates come in. Those are not people that in four, six, eight years from now are going to like be like, yes, I'm going to vote for Mitt Romney today because he's a standard bearer <laughs> of the party. Like, yeah, it's it, not going to happen. It's interesting. You, you keep mentioned 28 percent. Right. Uh, you guys remember Ted Cruz barely won Iowa in 2016. I can't remember how his presidency turned out, but he won with 28% of the vote. And there, obviously, Iowa kind of shook out and then everything else happened from there. Right. But you don't need 51% to win a primary, no. which I think even the media who've been covering this for longer than I've been alive. A lot of these reporters seem to think that if a poll shows out shows that Trump only has 42, 44 percent of the vote, that 42, 44 percent ain't going away. Right. No, and it's overwhelming. Let me also say, think about this right now. You know, there, there was a survey that had Trump at 51 and DeSantis at 33. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Like 51 could be a floor for Trump and it could be a ceiling for Ron DeSantis because to, to what we talked about earlier, Joe, like these people haven't been out on the road yet. Right. They haven't been tested. They haven't had to sit in the diner in in, you know, on the seashore or the seacoast in New Hampshire or in a Tumwa. Right. At the A&W talking to people who those voters believe they have the right to ask any future president of the United States any question they want. Right. And it's a different ballgame. And and I don't and Trump, I don't think necessarily cares. But I would also say this is that Cruz in Iowa in 16, that win as narrow as it was, was on the strength of. A very good organization. Cruz had a great technical campaign, but it got smashed by, you know, the bulldozer that is Trump. Jeff Rowe ran that campaign. I don't know who he'll choose to work with this time, but, you know, can they rebuild it? I have a hard time believing just because the party's changed so much. I also think the media dynamics are going to be totally different than than they were in 2016. The media is just not going to assign. uh, I mean, Trump will have all the press he wants and Mm -hmm. all the you right. know, all the loudness he can, you know, he creates. You somehow gotta score early and build, or you won't get covered at all. In other words, like the, I just don't think there's enough there's enough bandwidth in the media now, as fragmented as it is. Even though we're talking only, you know, it'll be eight years from 2016 by the time we get there. But man, it has changed. It's even more fragmented. And if you, you know, everything from money to exposure is gonna be much harder to get. And we saw how you know had no staying power in 2016, and we saw it with uh, with Kamala Harris in the 2020 primaries uh, with Joe Biden. You can have a moment, but if you can't sustain it, right. the energy's just not there. It just dissipates really quickly now, and pr- I think even more so if if you're trying to live the fantasy of you're going to be the one that takes down Donald Trump, and that it'll mean something even if you somehow do doesn't make any sense to me. No. Uh, yeah. I mean, again, if think about this. I mean, Kevin McCarthy, the Speaker of the United States House of Representatives, um, was as mealy-mouthed, swampy, establishment Republican as you could get. Going back to when I knew him in California when he was minority leader of the, the state assembly, right? Why did he rise through the ranks of the Republican House conference when he got to, you know, got to Washington? Not because he's, you know, some great, you know, thinker, you know, but because he could raise a ton of money out of California. He's a really good fundraiser. So he became whip, right, which he was terrible at, right? He was a terrible whip. Nobody, nobody's afraid of Kevin McCarthy, clearly. 
then he became a minority leader, like, you know, and nobody was afraid of him then either. Um, and now he's speaker and he has abased himself and the party to, you know, a bunch of, you know, would be political terrorists. And, you know, it's not going to get better. And, you know, he's going to do everything he can. Look, all he wants is that gavel long enough so he can justify like a portrait right in the Capitol somewhere. Mm. Right. He's got to he's got to get past the head of lettuce stage or whatever that is. Um, but that's <laughs> where the that's where the party is. Right. It's not it's with the grassroots. It's with the activists. And frankly, it's with the the, the financiers who are willing to sort of accept that side of the party for, you know, the, the benefits they see is getting themselves. One question I've got, Reed, is because, you know, we talk a lot about the Fox News mm -hmm. outrage machine, everything Breitbart, Steve Bannon, Alex Jones, you know, the whole craziness over there that they've built. Yeah. Is there anybody they would get behind? It seems like there's elements that are trying to try to push Trump away, but in the end, they'll be just like all the rest, you know, bended knee. But what's your take on what role that they play? So, you know, let's take Fox first. That's an interesting one. Yeah, I mean, at Fox, you know, you've got Lachlan and Rupert Murdoch, who, you know, I don't think have ever really liked Trump, but they saw him as a vehicle to drive viewership and money. Um, you know, they seem to have been with Ron DeSantis recently or maybe in the past few months. But what's interesting, and, and there's a woman named Juliet Jeske mm -hmm. who does this work called Decoding Fox News. And what she noted, and I hadn't thought about this, is even now, if you watch Fox News, they may not talk about Trump, but they don't say anything bad about him either. Right. Which I think is a really important point, which is if they really wanted to, to dent him, they would have the, you know, the morning, the right. day side. You know, the five, you know, I don't think you can tell Tucker what to do. Hannity would be apoplectic and Ingram would probably do whatever she was told to. Right. Like you would see you would see them coming out after him, but they're they're hedging their bets. They don't want to be there. OANN, you know, one, you know, um, all of the Mark Levin, all of them. I mean, look, even Hugh Hewitt, who was a somewhat, quote unquote, normal conservative commentator, you know, pre-Trump. Like they're really all in the tank for him. They don't want to be on the wrong side of him. And then you have like, you know, the National Review goons who say that, you know, oh, Glenn Youngkin and Ron DeSantis are the, you know, what, what American conservatism needs to get back. And like they don't, you know, they'll go again, ultimately, wherever the wind blows, because they want to they want to have a place in what what passes for the ideological, you know, space in the Republican Party at this point. Yeah, well, you know, look, one thing we know they'll do is to con continue to be the outrage machine attacking Biden and the Democrats. Well, for sure. People underestimate that power and why we need to take it on. Yeah, you know, like this this whole Chinese balloon thing that happened last week, right? By the time people are hearing this, it will have been a battalion of Chinese paratroopers, you know, descending over Montana to take over a right. missile silo. <laughs> like when you write, when you get to write your own facts and have millions of people believe it, the crazier the thing you say, the more likely they are to yeah. believe it, right? We've seen that throughout history. The yeah. bigger the lie, the more they believe it. But but this is how powerful this crap is. Yeah. Last week, while the balloon was floating around, I think around the same day, the same time, the lowest unemployment rate since the moon landing, 517,000 jobs in January right. created, 5 million in the last year. 12.1 million right. jobs during the Biden administration, unemployment rate at 3.4%, the lowest in 50 years, wages up 4.4%. But over a third of the American people believe we lost jobs last year, and another third don't know. 
In other words, like whatever the latest outrage is, and it's always, by the way, that it's, you know, Biden's destroying the economy. They actually have that power that the press will pick up that negative sentiment and go with it. First of all, the, the press is always negatively biased in the negative anyway. But I'm just saying, I think it's why they're silent about Trump, because, okay, he's probably going to be the nominee, even though we wish it would be someone else. But so our but do job they, is to Do just, they wish it would be just, somebody else? Really? Yeah, you know, that's a good... Yeah, they no, say they do. I'm giving them too they much They say credit. they do, right. but let's be clear. Yeah. Like, you know, CNN's on its last leg, right? Like, do they want the craziness... Does Fox want, I mean, they all want it back, right? That outrage machine will continue to drive the negative and the media with its, just its bias to pick up negative stuff and run with it, uh, will amplify it. And that's why, you know, look, we've talked a lot about what the Lincoln Project, you know, did at the ballot box last time around, you know, 2022. Um, Right. But it's why, you know, we've been also talking on the podcast about Resolute Square and and the need for us to build a pro-democracy messaging hub to really amplify voices to take this stuff Mm -hmm. on. Um, And, you know, look, we're at the early stages of it. And uh, again, we'll put it in the show notes, but I I hope people will check that out because it it just it's very powerful what they've built over 30 years with billions of dollars. And we can't wait right. around. We got to start building something ourselves. And that's what, what we're trying to do. Well, I think this also speaks to the national Democrats, um, you know, need to sort of get their act together, yeah. which is if, if I were running the DNC, right, I would have, I would already have ads up in all 18 districts held by Republicans that Biden won in 20 saying, look at what Joe Biden has done. You know, right. we've we've gotten a lot of work done. Let's not go backwards now and put incredible pressure on those guys and gals not to work with Kevin McCarthy to, you know, you know, screw up the debt ceiling and go into default or, you know, you know, try and reduce, you know, Medicare and, and Social Security benefits, like all of those other things. Um, they've got they I mean, he he is the president of the United States. He's the most powerful man in the world. Like they have to act like it. And I think that, that the president's rhetoric as of late has been very good about that. You can already tell he's getting into sh- shape for 2024. But all of the other mechanisms that the Democratic Party has on offer um, can't take this year off. Yeah. And I feel like, Joe, that's sometimes one thing you don't understand is like, you know, OK, the RNC, the Republican National Committee is a disaster, whatever, the NRSC, the NR- like all their like, who cares, right? But they don't need all that because they have so many other groups and so many other voices and so much money. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know if you guys have mentioned this, but it came out in January that Mark Meadows, former chief of staff to Donald Trump, coup, you know, coup lover extraordinaire, you know, his group, the Conservative Partnership Institute, just bought an $11 million building on Capitol Hill. They didn't rent it. They bought it. It wasn't a long-term lease. They didn't buy a floor. They bought the building lock, stock, and barrel. Like, that's the kind of money we're up against, that they just, you know, they want something done. They get the money. It shows up. Now, does money buy everything in politics? It doesn't by far. We've seen that because Trump's been proof of that, right? He was, you know, he had less money than Clinton in 16, um, anyone. He was functionally bankrupt in 2020, his campaign was anyway, and almost won anyway. Um, And he's got a thousand percent name ID, but... All of those other foundational and logistical pieces and communications pieces that 
you know, are necessary in the, in the interconnected world in which we live today, they never have a shortage of the resources or the voices or the desire. They'll just go do it again and again and again. And that's what we have to build from the ground up. And not just us, but there's whole kinds of groups out there that, that need help uh, in building a messaging machine that's louder, that gets louder uh, to take this stuff on. Right. So guys, before we wrap this and we're just about out of time, one more listener question. So this is from Jeff in, I believe, Arkansas. So thanks for listening from Arkansas, Jeff. Pivoting from, and this is pivoting from all the Trump talk back to President Biden. And this gets, this is a follow-on, Joe, from our, our talk with Greg Sargent last week. So if you haven't listened to that, listen to that first. With the GOP controlling the House, Biden will have a hard time amassing more policy achievements in the next two years. Does that mean that the next two years are much more about politics and pragmatism? And is that good for him or bad for him? Uh, I think that's good for him. Yeah. I think that's good for him. This has all been about contrast. Uh, and Biden Biden presented exactly the right contrast that barely got us through 2020 right. with all right. of us. It took all of us. Right. <laughs> In the trenches, helping every way we could, everything. It took everything. And I think the contrast that he presented, I think 2022 was very much the same thing. It was the contrast of he and Biden and Democrats with a few occasional Republicans coming over, doing the work, getting things done, while a lot of MAGA candidates out there were doing the crazy. And I think right. that contrast is what is what knocked down the red wave, again, with everything all of us did. And I right. think now with McCarthy and the MAGA crazy caucus running the House now, in contrast with Biden continuing to work by the way that the job creation that's going on and and the I think a lot of the things that were pulling Biden down and Democrats down inflation gas prices all that that's all dissipating and moving in the right direction and it's much stronger economy than people uh, thinking I think it only gets stronger going in and I think it's that contrast that will be it that calm pragmatic getting it done versus the MAGA crazy and I don't see the MAGA crazy going away and Trump's yeah. going to be much more um, out there you know campaigning and saying crazy things too along with the the crazy stuff that happens in the house so I'm pretty optimistic with the work we know we need to do that we can get there right. and I do think it's not just fighting in the ballot box but fighting their outrage machine in the media and knocking back against that as well. Right. So everybody's got their oars in the water. And we know the work people have done for the union, you know, through the union and other groups out there. Keep it up, folks. I know we're out of time. Thanks, Reed, for coming on. Thanks for having me. And thanks, everybody, for listening to that trippy show. And thanks to everyone who wrote in or tweeted us questions. We finally got to some. I promise you we'll get to more. A reminder that this podcast will always be free and is now part of the ResoluteSquare.com, a new force in the fight against the right-wing outrage machine. Check out my latest newsletter and work from Reed there, too. And some of the smartest people in the fight at ResoluteSquare.com slash trippy. Please subscribe to That Trippy Show. Leave a review on Apple or wherever you listen. And you can always send us a question to thattrippyshow at gmail.com or leave us a question in the review on iTunes. We'll see you next week. Thanks, Reed.